friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 33. It is April 15th, 2019. As I record this, you might hear my voice is a little scratchy. I'm in a travel lodge near Heathrow Airport. We just played our London show tonight with Cuckoo Kangaroo, Mega Ran, and Ruled by Raptors. Ruled by Raptors are a Newcastle band who learned my entire Robot Kills record and just rocked it. We played two weeks of shows and uh, it was amazing playing with a live band. They're super good. Please check them out. I want to do like a live album with them or like a version of some of the songs to put on Spotify because they just really brought the songs to life. What happened was they we didn't have samples. I've always played had the band play to like laptop versions of the tracks, but they recreated everything from scratch and it was awesome. So I'm still buzzing from that show. We played a venue called the Seabright Arms in Hackney, London which is like an area of London, which is like a real cool area, I guess. And um, it was a pub where we kind of played in the basement. And it was cool. We had a good turnout for the show. Saw a lot of great friends. It was awesome. So now I'm in the hotel with my kind tour manager, Tony, who's, who's, who's patiently hanging out while I'm recording this. He did a great job. Shout out to Tony McKenzie, who was our tour manager. I'm going to Heathrow Airport in like an hour to fly home. Life is crazy, but by the time you hear this, I will be home and everything was great. I want to thank Mega Ran and Cuckoo Kangaroo for putting up with me. It was so fun. Like Brian said, it was summer camp, kind of. And Tony bought us some cool Everton jerseys, which is his football team. He supports. We were making up songs about them and everything, and it's really special. So I'll never forget this tour, the 10-year anniversary tour of Robot Kills. I never expected I would be doing this so long. I met a lot of people who are fans of the podcast, a lot of great British fans, Thank you all for coming out. And of course, this is the part of the podcast where I shout out some of the Patreon supporters. I want to shout out some of the new ones, Econo, Nick, and Luke, and some of the old ones, James, Giovanni, and Scott. And of course, we got a lot of new ones in London tonight that I will shout out in the weeks to come. So this week, this is kind of poetic that this uh, episode would be with Perry Grip, who sings Guitar Hero Hero, parentheses, Beating Guitar Hero Does Not Make You Slash, which became the first single and video for the album that also featured Paul Gilbert. And Perry Grip is an incredible musician from Santa Barbara who actually won an Emmy. What? That's crazy. I talked to an Academy Award-winning animator and now Emmy Award-winning songwriter. Um, but he was one of the first famous people I ever met. My manager had worked with him years ago, my first manager, Tom. And I sat down with Perry in 2004 and had coffee with him and talked to him about his experience in the music industry. And it was crazy because I was always a fan of Nerf Herder and, and he was so encouraging and sweet to me. And uh, we ended up working on that song, like I said, and he ended up doing a lot of stuff with Olio, which was a label that put out Robot Kills. And one of my favorite Perry Grip solo songs is called Space Unicorn. But right before the holidays, I recorded this in Santa Barbara. And then Perry gave me this amazing tour of his orchid farm, his water lily farm, I mean. And for those of you who know the Spike Jones movie. I think it's Spike Jones. It's called The Orchid Thief. His dad was actually a scientific um, like authority for that film. They went to him to make sure all the, the information about the water lilies and orchids was correct. And their van was actually used in that movie, which is crazy. But I got to see his orchid farm, which is right on the coast in Santa Barbara. And it was like a beautiful night. And it was just one of those cool California nights. And Perry let me interview him in his studio and he's just a really humble guy. Like you see Perry always is deflecting me like, Oh no, Lars. Okay. He's really calm. It's kind of guy where like, if when I get to be his age, if I can be as cool and gracious and kind and, and hardworking as him, he's the kind of guy that I would like to be like, we played a show together last year, like a 
a con after party show in in uh, at House of Blues, and so we reconnected. So I asked him to do this. It's interesting. He talks about um, what it was like touring with Weezer when they had their Pinkerton album out. They were opening for Weezer, and what that was like being on the road with them. He actually has a song about that, which is kind of cool. We also talked about this is the big crazy surprise of the show. He Perry Grip was actually the dude who coined the term nerdcore for his nerdy brand of music in the mid 90s. So this might cause some controversy that I'm dropping this knowledge, but we get into this more in detail. But there was there used to be a genre called nardcore bands from Oxnard, Southern California bands from Oxnard. It was called nardcore. So they Murfordor were like, well, we have Star Wars references. We're nerdcore. And then Perry says, you know, the, the rapper started using it. And he's like, well, I guess that makes sense. And he doesn't have any umbrage or like Perry doesn't have any kind of resentment that the nerdcore rappers took over the term, but this podcast, he goes on record saying he made up the term. So front a lot, as much as I love you, I love you front a lot. And I'm going on tour with those guys. Nerdcore are the original nerdcore acts. As I said, we're going on tour. So I wanted to announce this, these uh, Midwest dates real quick. We're doing Fargo on the 30th. Then we do Minneapolis, May 1st, Milwaukee, Chicago, Pontiac, which is like Detroit, Lakewood, which is Cleveland, I guess, Rochester, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Birmingham, uh, Atlanta, Gainesville, West Palm Beach, which is near Miami, and then Winter Park. Then I'm playing Boston with Big D and the Kids Table June 8th, and that's with my original band members. We're doing a version of the Robot Kills reunion show. Then, this is breaking news. I haven't announced this. I'm doing the, the Atlantic City Warp Tour date. With Blink-182 and Bad Religion and like Less Than Jake. That's crazy. So thanks to Kevin Lyman for adding me to the Warp Tour uh, date out there in, in Atlantic City. So come down. If you guys are any of the shows, come say what's up. Of course, if you say the code word, which is hashtag stealing fire, you get a free CD, as always. This is my interview with Perry Grip. Let's get into it. Thanks again to all our supporters. Thanks again to our amazing tour mates. Again, to my tour manager, Tony, who's patiently... Staying awake while I record this. And uh, thanks to Rube by Raptors, Cuckoo Kangaroo, and Mega Ran. And most of all, thank you to everyone who's been listening this far. It's crazy the numbers this podcast has been getting. Like, I don't do it because I don't really count the numbers, but it's so cool to see every episode is growing. So thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for supporting the music. And thank you for coming to see us. It's awesome. Okay, here we go. And this is my interview with Perry Grip. <laughs> It was Nerdcore Heaven in 97. That's one of your lyrics. I'm here with Perry from Nerf Herder. Perry, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Lars. Thanks for having me on your podcast. This is cool because you were, a few months ago, I was like thinking of all of my friends that I would love to have on. And you were one of the first people to email me back and say you'd be down. That really motivated me to launch this thing. So I wanted to just go on record and say like you're being one of the first people to take up my offer to schedule one of these talks meant a lot to me, man. Oh, that's good. I think my, I probably got your email and like within a second emailed back and said I wanted to do it. <laughs> so exciting. Any chance I get to see you, I always enjoy because you have been a, a constant coda in my life. And like I thought maybe we could start sharing the story of when Tom Gates introduced us over email and we had coffee and help the woman chase and catch her dog that ran away. Do you remember this? <laughs> I don't remember that. I mean, I remember meeting you through Tom Gates. <laughs> we met in Montecito, 
at I think it was the coffee bean, maybe, and I don't remember the dog though, but it started remind me of the story. Okay, so this lady had a dog that was off the leash and it ran by us. We were having like this in-depth conversation, and she's like, "Help, help, my dog!" So you and I ran and helped grab the dog, and and we put it in her car, and she was so thankful. And then you you said to me, Lars, we may have just helped that lady kidnap someone's dog. <laughs> Do you remember that? And I was yeah. Like, this man has a good sense of humor. She stole that dog. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. That was so crazy because, I mean, you, I don't know. That's, it's weird to think that I know you. I knew you before I knew Carl and Linus and these other characters that are in our, our lives. I don't need to explain who those guys are. I probably do. But anyway, I, it was like 1994 or something. No, it was 19, 2004. 2004. And Linus yeah. and Carl, who, produced uh this gigantic robot kills which you were on my second record and you yes. i remember you were at the studio and we were listening to it and you said lars this record is gonna be really great and that meant a lot to me too it's a great record thank you dude guitar hero hero for those of you who haven't seen the video uh perry plays the the rock singer who's the actual musician that cuts between me playing the fake guitar and we, it was a full day of filming but you never complained and you were like a good sport I like getting free snacks and stuff, so it was great. It was fun, and Paul Gilbert was there. It was cool. We got to hang out with him, and he was a sport. He it was, was a great. Sport. And I think Carl, we didn't we film at Carl's warehouse or was where were we filming? Carl, yeah, right. Where the Olio had all their um, backstock. Yeah, down in Torrance, I think. Yeah, we filmed there, and I think Carl had a forklift. I don't know if we got to drive that, but that would have been fun too. So it was great. And so, is that how you linked with Carl and Linus through that world? Or how did you meet Linus? So um, I met Linus through Carl. And I met Carl because in some year, I'm thinking 2005, so after we met, um, I recorded this weird record of like really short commercial songs that was totally dumb. And, and I shopped it around to different labels and no one wanted it except for Carl. And like reached out, I, I knew he had kind of a novelty label. Not a novelty label, but he did weird different stuff and I sent this to him and he and Linus had seen Nerf Herder perform at South by Southwest so he knew who I was and he liked Nerf Herder and he's like ah oh, this guy this look at these weird songs ah, I might as well do it and he, he he gave me a tiny amount of money to put it out which I was stoked to get and uh, so that's how I met Carl I met him through shopping this record around and subsequently the song do you like waffles was, was on that record and carl got all his money back and more you were the soundtrack to memes before memes were even a thing i don't <laughs> know if that's true but it could be i was one of the first youtube guys like i mean when hamster on a piano came out it was like one of the it was like people freaked out and it was one of the top videos of the year that's hard to imagine now <laughs> and you were doing it because you just wanted to write songs about things that you liked on the internet. What, what was the genesis of all that? So I was just, I decided I had put out this little record through Carl and, and people really liked, do you like waffles? So I thought I'm going to just write a bunch of songs, dumb songs like this. I'm going to do a song a week. And you kind of have to write about just like, what do you write it? What do you write songs about? You have to think of some words. And so YouTube was starting and these videos were really popular. It was like, hamster on a piano or cat flushing a toilet or like man riding a Segway or whatever. And so it just seemed like a funny, dumb thing to do. And it really was crazy to me that it 
that it took off. And basically, it's like my career now is based on that. And what was the idea to pitch your voice up for those? Um, I'm, I think my voice is terrible. And so, so pitching it up kind of changes it to sound like someone else. And also, it just seemed like a funny thing to do. I, I, or like hamsters singing in cor- a chorus. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that I directly thought about it like that. But yeah, I think it... And I and ultimately, I think I think kids like pitched pitched up vocals. Like I think to adults, there's something about the sound of it that's kind of annoying. But I think kids, it's they hear it, they're like, yeah, this is this is like someone my age talking to me. Like Alvin the Chipmunks. Yeah, it's timeless. It is. You have had a diverse roster of releases, and I guess we could take it back to '94. Is that when you started Nerf Herder? Yep, Nerf Herder started in '94. We were just goofing around trying to this is before the internet so pretty much anything you did you were just kind of doing it for the people in your immediate neighborhood like you couldn't do oh i'm gonna impress that guy in chicago or whatever you couldn't do that you're like i'm gonna go play this song and then my friends who all went to my say my school are gonna laugh at it and so it started as you're just writing songs for your friends yeah we just so in santa barbara every person was in a band it was kind of what you did and so everyone had their little band and we had our little band and we just, you know, you had to have, like I said, you have to have songs and words to, uh, to go play, hang out at the club. So that's what we did. And all of your songs, like getting to know you as Perry and listening to your back catalog and your current songs, they're very honest and they're also very much about the things you love and the pop culture that like drives you. And I think that's like a hallmark of Nerf Herder that the references you have and like you tell a story because you're a kid who loved and loves pop culture. Sure. Yeah, that's right. I I, uh, I would say there's a lot of pop culture in there, and that's great in some ways because people relate to it, and then it's terrible in other ways because it's outdated and people don't get it when they're when you're when you're uh, you know when they're not part of that demographic. But um, it's definitely part of what we do. How did you meet Steve? Steve. Well, like I said, this town is small. Yeah, we're in Santa Barbara. And everyone's in a band. And Steve was just a guy in a band who I met. And we kind of hit it off just, I were similar personalities and stuff. And we uh, just started playing. And uh, I don't know. He's a great guy. What was your first show? Do you have a distinct memory from the first ever? It could have been a place called Alex's Cantina, which was a Mexican restaurant here in Santa Barbara. A lot of bands played at. Weezer played there. That was the first place I saw him was playing at this Mexican restaurant before their first record came out. Your name, of course, was that your idea to the Star Wars reference? That was Steve's idea. Shout out to Steve. Shout out to Steve. We needed a name. And you're you're always like, you have to have a name. Well, you can't not have a name. And it's a pain thinking it up. And you could come up with a terrible name or a good name. But um, Steve was watching Empire Strikes Back. Oh, Nerf Herder. That's a great name for us. And it, it turned out to be a great name. And the nerdy references like... When I first heard the term nerdcore, like in terms of rap, I'd always associated that with specifically your guys' band and that movement. And like in your song about touring with Weezer, you say it was nerdcore heaven in 97. Did you ever call yourselves nerdcore? Uh, well, we did call ourselves nerdcore. And I'll tell you how that came about. There, um, There's a type of punk rock called hardcore. And there's a town we live near, called, near here called Oxnard. And they had a punk scene and that was called Nardcore which was kind of funny because it's a funny name. So when we came out, we made the joke, oh, we're nerdcore, like sort of a play on nerdcore, which is this thing in this little town near us. And so we had been using that for a while. But then I think that like when 
like uh, you know, the rappers, nerd rappers came out, they used nerdcore, and it seemed like, oh, that's a kind of a different thing. And so this was would have been like '94 then, mid '90s, yeah, definitely. So way before Frontalot and any of us, I think so. But but I think that nerd when now when people think of nerdcore, they think of they think of uh, like you guys, right? When I w- I was talking to Rivers one time, and he was just was like before the Green Album, there were we did this second we tour our first tour was with Weezer, but our second tour we did with them was right before they came out came out of seclusion with this Green Album, and Rivers called it geek rock. That's how how he referred to us. So I thought, oh, maybe that's the term to use. Because Weezer is kind of geek rock, you could say too, right? Yeah, I think so. What was your childhood like growing up in Santa Barbara? I guess it was full of like watching Star Wars and the Muppets, uh, swimming. I still swim. So let's see, going to school, reading science fiction, that kind of stuff. Just like computer stuff like so I'm old like you can't see a picture of me because I'm on the audio but I'm super old and so I was you know when I was a kid like it was unusual to be into computers because they were big heavy things and you had to like take a class at the university to to use them but I was into that you were like an early adopter of being a musician who also was into nerd culture Um, well I like initially my first music I was really into was Dr. Demento which of course like, so I remember being a kid and hearing Weird Al perform his first songs at when he was at uh, San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly. And uh, it was really exciting because he was like a hero to us, you know, us like little kids listening to Dr. Domeno. And uh, to see him go, like, it's weird to think that he's huge now and he was like so exciting back then. Like, it's crazy how long his career is. And I'm, and I'm feel really lucky because. Recently, I got to meet him and hang out with him and do a song with him for uh, the TV, this uh, Disney cartoon I worked on. It was called The 7D. So oh, it was yeah. a Seven Dwarves uh, cartoon for Disney. And he had a guest spot on that. And so I got to write a song for him and hang out with him, which was really fun. That is cool. <laughs> yeah. You've won Emmys, right? I have a Emmy, which was yeah. really exciting. <laughs> I can't believe it. Can we talk about that? So I had been nominated. I... I haven't done I've done sort of one-off TV stuff but I this show this 7D which is the Seven Dwarves this Disney show I was the composer and songwriter for that show and so I wrote a lot of songs for it and the first season two songs got nominated for an Emmy and I thought man two songs I'm gonna win because I'm we got I've got beginner's luck right what's more powerful than beginner's luck nothing right so I I went to the Emmys and uh, I'm like, I'm going to leave with a statue, but I didn't. I didn't win. And I thought, uh oh, okay, that's it. I'm never going to win one of these because I've used up all my beginner's luck. Next, two years later, um, the show has been canceled, or not canceled, but it's not renewed. Everyone's going home. There's no, I don't have a job. And out of the blue, one of these songs got nominated for an Emmy. And I thought, there's no way this is going to win. Um, but, uh, it won. It was crazy. I still can't believe it. You, so you were there and you didn't expect to win. I was there. I didn't expect to win. I ran up there. I grabbed the statue and, um, I had written like a lot of times when you win an Emmy for songwriting, you wrote the music or you wrote the lyrics or someone else wrote the lyrics and two guys go up there or three guys go up there. But I wrote the music and the lyrics. So I got to run up there by myself, wave my arms around, say my little, uh, 10 second speech and then split. 
That's awesome. It was great. We're here in your recording studio, and do you have like a, every day you try to like make sure you have certain amount of hours where you're working? What's your workflow like? I'm not that organized, but I've got and I've gotten really lazy too. So um, I used to write a lot. Like when I was working on that show, I was also doing songs of the week and other other work. I did a lot of songs for a show called Storybots, which is on Netflix. Little kids may know that show, but um, lately I've just been really lazy. Between projects. Between projects, yes. But mostly I just sit around. Do you still enjoy touring? Because I see you, you guys play still a lot of shows. Yeah, and we 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 kind of we don't really play a ton of shows. We probably play like four or five shows a year, which isn't a lot. And we don't really we can't really tour because people have jobs and families, and they're lazy like me. So we play like a one-off show. If someone will fly us somewhere, we'll just yes, we'll do that show, whatever it is, as long as it's some place kind of interesting to go. But um, yeah, we don't we we just uh, we keep try to keep doing stuff mainly because it's fun to hang out. Like we all get along, we're all buddies. There's Ben Pringle uh, on bass, Linus Dotson on guitar and music director, uh, Steve on the drums, and me singing. It was just fun to hang out with those guys. What was it like when you guys got signed? And like, what? How did you get discovered? And like, what was that like, man? That's so so crazy. It was it was crazy, and it, it was like an early viral thing too because we. We were just guys goofing around in our garage and our our pal Joey, who's in a band called Lagwagon, a punk band that to us seemed like superstars. Um, they uh, He was starting his label and he asked a bunch of people to be on his label. No one would do it. So he's, oh, I'll do this Nerfurter band. I know these guys. These songs are kind of funny. And so he, he recorded that record um, for really cheap. And uh, it was being distributed by Fat Records. And I think Tom Gates was involved at that point, our friend Tom Gates. And uh, somehow, in fact, I think Tom Gates was the guy who took the record to Live 105 in San Francisco. Ah. And then they started playing the song Van Halen. And it it was like a viral hit because it, it didn't have any money behind it. It didn't have a record company behind it. It was just like people thought it was funny. It got requested. And so it started going up. The Billboard charts, which just was the craziest thing in the world to um, to us, I mean, because we didn't know anything, and all of a sudden uh, we were getting record offers, and we got signed to a big record deal, and we were making a video, and we were on tour with Weezer, which was like our favorite band at the time. So it was just like a really crazy, and we did the theme song to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, all like in this very like six month time, which made it seem like. You know, it, at um, you know, at some point we were we were touring. I think we were our next tour was the Bloodhound Gang, and I remember being on tour with the Bloodhound Gang, and um, someone at our label had arranged for us to go to Skywalker Ranch. Oh shoot! And we're like, we were like so burned out and tired. We're just like, oh, we can't. Like we could either go home or do that. And I think we were just like, oh, well, we'll be hanging out there all the time in the future. We're like, we're going to be, uh, you know, superstars or whatever. And so it seemed like that at that point because we had gone so far so fast. And so, but then we, we oh, we're too tired. We couldn't go. It would have actually been kind of a journey to do that, but um, we didn't do it. And then like a year later, I was thinking, we're never going to get that opportunity again. We're never going to go there because you sort of go up and then quickly your, your thing declines. So it was... It was fast. But, you know, there's probably people who work there now. We did fans. get back there, by yeah, the way. Yeah, right. You did. 
Yeah. So we, you were wrong. I was wrong. Yeah. We did like very, <laughs> like two years ago, we went there and we recorded. Nerf Herder went and recorded two songs from our so- record, Rockingham. We recorded uh, Doctor Who is one song. And the other song is called I'm the Droid You're Looking For. I think that's the title. But uh, that those two songs were recorded there. What was it like touring with the Bloodhound Gang? Was this like around Firewater Burn? Yeah, we did yeah. that tour with them. Yeah, and that was crazy. I think that's why, like, you were a fan of theirs, right? That's why. That's how I. That's how uh, I think we Tom Gates got us together. But they, uh, they were super nice, funny, but like really wild and crazy. Like, it just was the craziest. I can't describe what happened, but it was just seemed like the craziest time like just behave like those guys were nuts there's that dvd the one fierce beer run yes that was us that tour okay yeah yeah we were there and you sang a lot of uh harmonies on hooray for boobies and and vocals on that i did some of those yeah that was really fun also really wild and crazy do you still talk to jimmy i do actually i just sent him a christmas card (laughs) and he uh last time i was in philadelphia i saw him and he's 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 like one of the sweetest like best guys you could ever know so you tour with people in different scenes and different worlds, and like that's just because you're a very nice, humble person. I I feel like that works well I for you. I don't know why how it happens. I feel lucky though, really lucky. Do you imagine like when you pick up a guitar when you're singing and composing? Do you still feel that like joy and inspiration you did as a kid? I guess sometimes, like when you do it as your job, and I am not doing as much as I used to, but for a while, it's really cranking out stuff. You can kind of go, oh wow, this is a pain. I wish I was just uh, doing something else. Very, but but once you get into it, like once you're you're playing the game, you know how it is when you're writing your song. You you get into a point where it's sort of like, I got to rhyme this with, I got to find a rhyme for this, and I got to do this, and I want to do this, and you're sort of you're working on it. You kind of lose ev- everything, you know, any concerns about other stuff, and you're so focused on the working on it that it's fun you know what i mean it's like right. flying or something like that you're just like flapping your arms so uh i don't i don't know i mean i i still love that and losing track of time right yeah you lose track of time all of a sudden it's like two in the morning and you're you know and then you go to sleep and you wake up and listen to what you did and there must be something cool being able to compose for a show or for kids knowing that you are flexing a different muscle right than than like the nerve herder stuff, doing the solo stuff or your, the, your viral YouTube stuff that you are, there's might be a freedom because there's, they're not comparing it to your more traditional work. Would you agree? Yeah. That was actually a big thing because when I, when nerve herder was kind of on ice and I started doing these short songs, people kept saying, in fact, Linus was involved with this. Carl was like, Hey, you should do a record, like a real record with not these dumb little songs. He didn't say dumb. But not these little songs, but you should do a real record. Linus was going to do my solo record, which was going to be a real album with like 10 songs. And the songs were going to be this, you know, three minutes long or whatever. And that never happened. Um, And I'm not sure why, but I think that I just somehow naturally like writing short songs. I think the Nerf Herder songs are more of a struggle. You got to think of more words. What inspired you to like end the Nerf Herder hiatus? How long were you guys not doing stuff for? Uh, it wasn't too, it was like maybe three years or something, which seemed like a long time. I think it was just something for Steve and I to do. And we, um, we had thought, I don't know, you, you sort of, 
you sort of miss certain parts, things about it. Um, so I think it was just like something to do. It wasn't like, oh, this is a good job for me because it's not a good job, but it was like, oh, this will be a fun thing to do. So we got back into it. And then we met Linus. We were playing with Ben. It was like, wow, these guys are super fun to hang out with. This is great. How was PAX Australia? PAX Australia was incredible. And if you've ever been to PAX, you know it's amazing. And there was just awesome. And I got to hang out with Jerry, who was, who was one of the creator guys, and he was super nice. And we played uh, there. We got to go to Australia, which is like, Australia is like Southern California with just weirder animals. It's really easy to get. If you're from Southern California, you go to Australia, you're like, oh, I get this. This is like, they've got tacos and stuff like that. It's great. And Melbourne is like in L.A. with more space, right? Yeah, it is yeah. kind of. You're right. It's yeah. exactly what it is. And it's just everyone's nice and friendly and they, you know, their stuff is food is really good. They're, they're really into coffee. But the weird thing, I don't know if you noticed this. Do you drink coffee? I do. Yeah. So if you go to Australia and this is a warning for all you people going there, you can't just go up to someone and say, hey, I want a coffee. And they give you a giant cup of coffee like they do here. Right. And you walk down the street. <laughs> no, they don't have that. They have. You can have an espresso black or whatever, or you can have a latte, but you can't just get like a big coffee. It's it's uh, and and I think they they think it's weird that you would just get this coffee that that maybe is bitter and gross that we like here over there. It's like they're really into coffee, but you're not gonna get that big coffee cup. You're gonna get like a tiny espresso. If you get a large cup there, a large cup is like the smaller than this smallest small here. And like if you want milk without foam, it's like a flat white. Yeah. It's all these terms. It's you like you got to learn all this crazy stuff. And you just want some coffee. That's the most <laughs> frustrating at first, but now I'm into it. You, so my dad's Australian. I remember I always, you know, I would go to see family and stuff. And the candy there is different, too. Like, it's like the cherry ripes. And it's all, it's like, it's interesting because it's very similar to our culture, but it has a little bit of Britain, right? A little sure, English. Sure, and, yeah. Yeah. They had Cadbury stuff there. I didn't eat any candy. I'm proud of you, Perry. I am. I was good. You said you're a swimmer. I do. I love swimming. I do this thing called master swimming, which is like, I've, I've been doing it for uh, maybe like three years. And when I started it, I thought, oh, master swimming, this is like a thing for old people to do. But actually, it's like really competitive. Like the people, the good people who do it are like just, you know, like Olympic people who like didn't get in the Olympics and now they're doing this. So there's really good people. There's also super old, slow people too. But um, it's... It's great. I love it. Is it like a long distances or? It's it's in a pool, which many people find boring, and you swim a lot of laps. I usually do about 2,500, 3,000 yards of a uh, workout, and you're like have intervals, and you have to swim fast, and there's a coach that says like, like uh, what is what are some of his things he says? Longer and stronger. He says that a lot. In stuff that rhymes, he'll say, you can't have triumph without oomph. That's another one. <laughs> That's good. Um, he says, go for the gold a lot. And he yells and he yell, he'll yell at your time after you swim, you know, pretty fast. It's great. And you find that you bond with your, your swimmers. Like do you have friendships with them? Yeah. They're super, everyone's super nice. It's super fun. It's like you're swimming with people and all kinds of different people, all, all kinds. And, uh, you know, you're all just swimming. You talk about swimming. I, in high school, I was on a swim team for four years. Sure. It's for me, I always think of lyrics and it clears my mind like that is a very meditative sport. And I feel like as a solo artist, it's similar because when you're releasing music, you're always trying to beat your own 
what you've done, right? Sure, sure, that's right. Do you do you agree or? Yeah, no, I see that. And and swimming's great for thinking of working on lyrics because you're kind of you have a rhythm going, right? And you you lose count of your swimming, of course, like and you and you forget how, how many laps you swam. But but it's I thought of tons of songs while I was swimming. That's tight. That's tight. Do you stay up on like new music? Is there anything you you like? that's like been coming out this year wow i can't think of it i think there's probably something um i really do i listen to old old music even music that was old when i was my age like i I really like late 60s music and i really like um i really like i probably would go like if i was just going to end music i'd probably end it in 1981 Mm, okay <laughs> but other than that what else i feel like i was listening to something new recently but clearly i can't remember what it is so i don't know what it was what's your favorite rush album wow because you have that rush reference sure sure i my favorite rush album that's a tough question because i sort of switch between them all it could be permanent waves it's good uh moving pictures is really good um i'd have to go with one of those you know, my favorite is uh, Test for Echo. Did you ever hear wow, that record? Wow, that is past my time. That was that came out in in eighth grade, and um, for me and my an English teacher I had knew I was into like Marilyn Manson and Sepultura, and he was like, "You should check out this band." And he actually bought the CD and gave it to me. Wow! And that was like you know sixteen dollars, you know, and and I was, I I really loved that record because it was my introduction to them, and I realized that it's not their like classic iconic album sure but it had like it, they had the song uh virtuality about on- an online romance that was huh. advanced for 96 you know yeah really and those guys are thinking they weren't afraid to be vulnerable you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah they weren't trying to be cool or anything like that they were just trying yeah you're right about that i i, I loved them when i was in high school is like i've i mean I've been into so many bands, but I was really into them, and I saw them a lot back in back in the old days. But I had a teacher give me a record, and it meant a lot to me. And I think this is a this is like if you're a teacher listening to this, you just like give kids records. They'll either like throw them away and think you're stupid, or they might mean a lot. My uh, I had a teacher in college who who uh, you know I'd always be talking about Rush or whatever, and she's like, oh, you should listen to this record. She gave me this record called. The Modern Lovers, which is mm. Jonathan Richmond and The Modern Lovers, and that record became so influential. I think if you if you listen to that, you hear a lot of stuff I do is like just blatantly ripped off from from that record, which is so good. Well, you're a storyteller. You kind of construct the stories where like you say what's happening, and you don't tell the full story, but the audience kind of has to imagine. I feel like Jonathan Richmond is similar in that way. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And he's non-traditional vocalist. You're too. very generous and flattering, <laughs> Lars. I appreciate this. I'm going to have you just sit here all through the rest of my life, telling me that I do a good job. I've known a lot of musicians who, you know, in the in the 13 years I've been doing this, who stop because they're confined by the the constructs of a label or a band. And you, whether on purpose or accidentally, never let that like. You never stopped. And I imagine in, in 30 years, you'll still be making like awesome music. Maybe not awesome, but I'll probably still be making it. But I did <laughs> stop actually. And when I stopped was when I like right before, like I, I kind of quit doing music. I was going to stop for good. It was 2004. It was like the time when I met you, not because of you, but <laughs> but like at that time, I was like had pretty much decided I wasn't going to do it anymore. And then uh, 
what happened. Um, someone emailed me and they're like, hey, we need this. We want you to, uh, can you try to do this song for these waffle ads? Which was, do you like waffles? And I had so much fun doing that. I was like, oh, I'm just going to do this. What What made you want to stop? You just had enough of touring and... it's It was like kind of burned out. And also it was clear like, wow, this is a hard way to make a living, uh, especially like the way bands were then. Like you couldn't, you had to go through label. So you didn't really get any money from recordings. You could only make it through touring. And you had to be like a certain level of touring to really be able to save up some money. So um, in some ways we got kind of lucky because I think if we had kept touring, we would just be touring right now, but like be super broke. Did those records recoup? I don't think any record other than Carl's record of Do You Like Waffles that I did, which recouped a lot. None, I don't think any of our records ever recouped. Maybe if maybe one of the Fat Records records, maybe How to Meet Girls. But you get ass cap. Yeah, that was yeah. different, but still not a good living if you want to like have something to eat. <laughs> how would you describe how would you describe Buffy fans? Because you've played a lot of those conventions, right? Like Oh yeah. That's a whole nother part of your your career that is fascinating that you are the soundtrack to a, a hit show. But yeah. You don't the song doesn't have lyrics. No, it has no words to it. It's just a bunch of guitars in your ear and and Buffy fans are nice. It's fun. I mean, it's it's so it's like so great to have a song like that that people know and that people are happy to hear you play and that that you can and that show was good. Like it was a really good show. It wasn't like show that I don't even know what a show you would be embarrassed of was, but that was a great show. And still people love that show. Had you been a fan of the movie, like the original movie when you wrote that song? Had you seen it? I, I had seen the movie, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I was a fan or not. I remember kind of liking it, but um, it was just like weird out of the blue thing um, that Joss Whedon, they were listening to our record when they were filming the first season and they needed a song and they asked a bunch of different people to come up with stuff and we they liked ours. That's tight. That's tight. Very lucky. When you tour, do you play mainly from the first record or? We play, so, so I, we kind of, wrestle a little bit with our set but i generally like to play the songs that are really easy for me to play because it's more fun for me um we have some songs on our new record we have a song called the girl who listened to rush and we tried we would play it but it was just like it was like playing a rush song it was complicated and and hard to goof around i i kind of like the songs more like nose ring girl where you i can like sort of improv and like point at people in the crowd and like I don't have to play guitar which is tiring so um I kind of like that so it's but but the first the first record is I think our most popular record and so we play a lot of songs from that and also coincidentally they're easy to play so there's kind of like a learning curve as you went further you wanted to challenge yourselves more with chords and I don't I don't think we did that on purpose it was just it just happens when you're when you're you have to like, oh, we can't do that same song again. We have to come up with something else. Oh, I guess we better learn a new chord. And then you have to like kind of make your thing more advanced. And then you record it. And then you like, when you make your first record, it's all this stuff that you had been playing. So you know how you can play it. But when you make later records, you record them and then you have to learn to play them. And that's, you're like, whoa, what did we do? This is hard. And that's why, so you have Linus as your music director. Yeah, Linus is a great, he would, 
he would be embarrassed and possibly angry if he knew that I was calling him music director, but he's really good at being like, oh, we should do this and this and we'll do this and you can not do that and I'll do that. And he can play every instrument. Really. Yeah, he's amazing. And like Ben, Ben is super, like, like Linus is like amazing and Ben is also amazing and Steve is amazing. The whole, the whole group is We're amazing. all amazing. You should come see us. <laughs> did you ever do Warp Tour? No, we never did. And I don't know why, but there were some, like Fat Mike, because we were uh, associated with Fat Records for a long time. And I remember Fat Mike being like, I tried to get you guys on the Warp Tour, but someone there doesn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> it just never lined up. It just right. never lined up. But I've also heard it was really hard tour. Like you, you have to uh, be there all day and like... I heard it's grueling. It's hot. Definitely very sweaty. I heard it's hot and sweaty. It seemed like a thing we would do, but we didn't. Do you ever see yourselves, if it were the right festival tour or something, like being out for months on an end or no? It'll never happen because we we all have jobs and families and we're lazy. And I like, like going for a weekend is really fun because that's the perfect amount. The only thing that's bad about not playing a long tour is you, when you play a long tour, you get really good. When you tour a lot, you're just like smoking. You're such a great band and you get really tight and stuff. But when you play five shows a year, you're like a little sloppy. Uh, that's the worst thing. But the good thing is that you aren't, um, you don't want to murder the guys you're in a you're band with. <laughs> you still love doing it. Yeah, it's still fun. Like when you tour for, there's like whatever tour you're on, like at two weeks, there's someone you want to kill. There's someone you're mad at. Right, right. And it's hard to, you can't do, you can't swim every morning for three yeah, hours or whatever. You really can't swim. Your body kind of takes a hit from those two-month tours, even though your stage show becomes great. Yeah. Somehow you become great on stage, but you also like eat a lot of chicken McNuggets and stuff. I don't know how you eat. Lars, how do you eat when you're on tour? You know, I this year I, I became vegan. Oh, okay. So okay. That helps. So it makes me be very like conscious about what I'm putting in my mouth and like but it's still hard because you end up eating at 3 a.m. after the yeah, show. Yeah, you have to find a carrot at 3 a.m. Uh, fruits and vegetables are kind of like perishable in the van and it gets yeah. kind of gross. So I eat a lot of protein bars and you know what I mean? Yeah, like, sure. Soda for me was like, like that was my vice because yeah. it would give me the energy, but it's not good calories. No, it's not good for you. Did you know that Melbourne, your town of your where your dad is from, is supposedly the vegan capital of the world? That's incredible. It's that's what I learned when I was there. You should go visit your family there and just eat tons of whatever they have. I don't know what it is, but they got it. I have a cousin who lives there and she has an Instagram. It's called My Vegan Place and it's all vegan recipes. And she lives in Melbourne. Oh yeah. So, so maybe she's part of that community. Well, she is. She's she part of the community. Yeah. <laughs> she's part of people probably look at that. Oh, this is the center of veganism. Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. They had great food. What is your favorite food of all time? I meant to ask you that. Oh wow, that's that's tough. I really like Mexican food. We eat that a lot. So tacos. Um, yeah, a lot of tacos. That's right. <laughs> um, and being being a Californian, like you are very tied into like along the Southern California, like punk and ska, pop punk history. You've always been about like kind of standing in opposition to that. I'm speaking specifically uh, go golf shirt, right? That song is about being a nonconformist from the nonconformist. Sure, that right. song's about being kind of uncool and not yeah. being able to fit in, which I couldn't do. Like we, 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 uh, when we first started playing, I thought, oh, I'm gonna try and be a cool 
person or like a person who is like, you know, like uh, Mike Ness from Social Distortion or something. And I couldn't pull that off. All I could do was make people laugh or like a Charlie Brown type character. So that's was like, oh, that's kind of what that song is about. You, you sort of like take what you can do and then you do it. You own it. And then one day the woman in the song will want someone in a golf shirt. That's what yeah, she really wants. That's what she really wants. You sing a lot about women. That's like a big inspiration and a common topic. Yeah. What is that? It's kind of weird. I mean, I think it's not an uncommon topic for songs to be like that. I think one of our, I mean, one of the Nerfurter things, I think when we first started, one of the shticks we had was that we would, we would sing all these songs about Steve's girlfriends and it sort of was funny. Um, and so it just would like became part of our shtick. And so you have to, you kind of like, once you have a shtick, I know that sounds bad. You're like, Oh, now we got to do another song. What's a different woman to sing about. So, um, and, and they always like, I like doing it where like, it's sort of, I, the, the gist of a nerf herder song is that there's this woman who's like a normal person and like an intelligent good person and then the guy singing the song is like somehow an idiot who's like trying to to impress her but he's he's terrible at it sorry right yeah he starts out it's innocuous and then you're like this guy is his life is not together yeah he's, yeah in the end you're like this guy's crazy so was diana one of steve's girlfriends oh yeah oh interesting Did <laughs> he he... Does, steve doesn't i hope you're not listening steve <laughs> so that is all based on truth yeah, actually, all those songs on that first record are are based on just like people around us and stuff we're doing. Like a lot of the lyrics were just made up. You're on stage. Oh, there's Diana over there. You sing about her or whatever. Um, Nose Ring Girl is a real person. Annalise, a real person, like all that stuff. Those records hold up because they're not pretentious because of that very reason, I think. I hope not. Yeah, I guess that's being pretentious. We weren't good at that, so. Did you ever hear from anyone in the Van Halen camp about their feelings of that song? Yeah, we did. They um, they had to sign off on it, I guess. And so uh, I heard we heard that David Lee Roth thought it was funny um, and that Sammy Hagar was really mad about it, like super mad. Like, Was he still in Van Halen then? Was that part he, of the era he, he was in? He, was, he had left at that point. Okay. Like, like that was one thing that happened right when that song came out, came out because we wrote the song, we recorded it, and then all of a sudden, David Lee Roth was back in Van Halen and Sammy Hagar was out, and it was like, oh no, the song's ruined. But it didn't didn't ruin the song, of course. But it like changed the perspective of the song. So, um, and that that might have brought attention to the song because. They, there was news about them, but Sammy Hagar was really mad, which I understand. It's not a flatter. Like if someone wrote a song about that me, I would be like that about me. I would be crushed and I would be so hurt. And I, Sammy, I'm sorry if you're if you're listening. You know, I went to uh, I went to middle school and high school with his son Andrew. Oh, really? And he would he was like at our our graduation and like um, very friendly guy, really yeah. nice guy, just like a a. I feel like he. I don't know if people really ever i would you there's no one who ever would say that van halen with sammy was the ultimate van halen would you agree have you ever met anyone who's like your song is so off point there are many people like that and there's there's a lot of people who were mad about that song and we took um 
if you look at the YouTube video for it, it's just like person after person, like, fuck these guys. So I swore on the thing. Don't, don't say it, but like just really mad at us. And like kind of not getting the song because the gist of the song is that the, like, it's sort of like the guy singing the song is like really emotional about this thing that he shouldn't be. You know what I mean? Like he's very right. emotional about, he's like so mad about Sammy Hagar being in Van Halen. And he's like, never going to buy the records. He's mad. I mean, I know people felt that way, but like it was sort of the the carry, the song is about this nitwit, like singing it, not the, not Sammy Hagar. So they had to sign off because it's like an interpolation of some of their lyrics. Was that it? They had to sign off when we did the video because it had some, we got some Van Halen album covers in it or something like that. Yeah. And so they had to somehow sign off. And I think that, I think that we just heard, oh, David Lee Roth thought it was kind of funny. I don't know what that means about, I mean, I don't know why. I don't know what, I, I mean, I can't, I, they must have heard heard the song, I'm guessing. But uh, all I know is David Lee Roth was cool about it and Sammy Hagar was mad about it. <laughs> as he should have been. Had you ever heard um, Linus's uh, a Size 14 band? Um, I, you know, I hadn't until after, I mean, I think they, they came out in 98, was it 98 or 97 that that came out? Yeah, I think around there. We did, yeah. cause that was song was on the radio. So we definitely heard that song, the Claire Danes poster song. And it's, it's a great record. Uh, that's another song about a, someone obsessed with pop culture, right? Yeah. Yeah. And another song where the guy, like you think, oh, this guy is like crazy or something. That's a, it's this, it's a similar shtick, but that's probably why we get along. One of the things, Perry, that we have in common is I also have found that it's fun to push people's buttons and and to um, tear down these pop culture tropes or like provide a controversial opinion that some people might have but no one has said. You know what I mean about like about mus the music industry or like you know about something that's revered and being able to make fun of it is a very powerful thing. And in a way, sometimes it feels a little maybe too easy, right? to take a swipe at something like me, like I'm speaking about my, I have a song about how hot topics sold all these things that are. Sure. Yes. That's a big song. And that was like a good inroad for me. And it's a similar thing where I was saying something about something that people thought, but no one had actually gone on record saying, and yeah, you know, do you ever, do you ever feel bad? Like, do you ever feel like bad if you hurt musicians or corporations feelings oh, or yeah. not? Maybe I feel worse about, I mean, Hot Topic's like a corporation, right? And there are probably people that worked at Hot Topic who were like, oh, this Lars guy, why did he do that? He's hurting my feelings. Um, I I still, I kind of do feel kind of bad about the Sammy Hagar thing. I feel bad about it. He's, he's probably not a bad guy. Your song about touring with Weezer is a really special song because it, you know, I've toured with bands who during their, during like important moments and talking about being backstage and how you have had a real friendship with those guys and like, it has also a, a nostalgic, sad vibe to it too. Yeah, well, it is. You know, you look back at this time. It was, it was really exciting for us. I don't think it was exciting for them at all, but it was exciting for us to be there. And and that's, you know, it's kind of about oh, that's in the past. It's not going to happen again. And they they were going through a hard time then because Pinkerton. It was the Pinkerton tour. When Pinkerton's this great record, but it didn't. It was getting. You know, it wasn't hitting the sales marks and stuff like their their previous one and so i think that was hard for them and you called out the rolling stone reviewer who who gave it a bad review and talked about how he was wrong right i love that yeah he was wrong <laughs> i think he said the songs weren't good you remember that time fondly and i think a lot of like fans of the band really look to that period as a defining moment for weezer where they like you guys they took a little break and they came back stronger than ever you know yeah. 
I like how you mentioned the butterfly. What, what's your lyric? You say the butterfly made people cry in the crowd, or something like that. It was a, it was a sad song. Yeah. And he would sing it, and he would he would come out. I don't know if he still does this, but he would like be him an acoustic guitar, and then I think Carl there, who's like the fifth Weezer, he would come out and play the the bass drum or something. Not the bass drum, but like the the bass tom or something like that. And it was it was sad. Yeah. It was great to see. It was we every night watching those guys was amazing. That album was kind of the genesis of what inspired all those early two thousands emo bands. Yeah, really. it really was. Yeah, yeah, it was such an important record. It's weird. I think it's probably their least selling record. It sounds like you were also trying. It's like a musical homage to Weezer, like the breakdowns in the intro. Am I right in that? Sure. Yeah, and I I think that um, I didn't I didn't. It was more just a song, like kind of in a Weezer style, and then. Then Linus, our musical director, was able was like, oh, we should do this and this and this. This will like imply these Weezer songs, but it won't be a thing we're gonna get sued over. So um he and he dialed that in and it sounds awesome. It turned out great. Did you ever talk to Rivers? Like, did he ever say, Hey, I love that song or No, I haven't heard from him. <laughs> I don't know if I will. I mean, I haven't haven't talked to any of those guys in a really long time. Do you stay up on them? Do you still like are you still a fan of the um, I listened to this, the record, some, I mean, I listened to some stuff like when that white album came out, I listened to that. Um, they do a lot of stuff. It's hard to keep track of. It's like one a year at this point, right? Yeah. I can't listen to that much. They need to do one every five years and then I'll listen. Do you hear that? Do <laughs> you hear that Rivers? Who's listening right now? <laughs> Why do you think that Africa Toto song was such a viral, had such a viral resurgence by, you know, Weezer covered it and like, it was such a crazy viral hit again in these past few years why is that do you have any I thoughts i don't know i i was wondering about that one is i think that um it's a great song like it has a great melody to it um it's kind of like that song don't stop believing that journey song like when i was like those songs were both old i think when i was sort of i mean at some point i was like oh these songs are cheesy like no one will listen to these songs in the future but they've sort of turned out to be these classic songs that unite people and, and kids like them. And I don't know that Toto song, like it's just a good song. I guess I think Weezer's probably really surprised at how popular it was. Everyone's surprised. I feel like it had this mass revival in an era where culture is so fragmented and stuff. Like everyone's able to point to like that song is one of the last huge songs of the collective unconscious that is about, you know, it's about mystery and travel and, about you know about it's all these spiritual things but it's also very confusing like the narrative of it you know what i yeah. mean yeah no i never understood what it was about i was like is this guy actually talking about is he actually in africa or like what is this about like you don't really know but it just sounds it has the sound of being um and weezer's version sounds pretty much just like the original one so um i don't i don't know it's funny like i, I don't understand it at all it's the hows and whys of the internet is uh, very confusing and it's endlessly entertaining too, right? Yeah, it keeps changing. That's the thing. Do you, Perry? Do you have a favorite song of all time, like uh, by any artist that you would say that that's my favorite song? Oh wow! Someone asked me this recently. Okay, I think my favorite song of all time um, is probably "A Boy Named Sue." by Johnny Cash. I don't know if you know this song, but it's written by this guy, Shel Silverstein. Shel Silverstein 
has a kid's book called The Giving Tree, which a lot of people know. And he has these kid's books, but he's a great songwriter. And he wrote this song called A Boy Named Sue that Johnny Cash does. And it's the lyrics are so good. And it's just, it's like the best songwriting you can have. Like it is, the lyrics are super clever and it tells the story and it's awesome. I didn't know that was Shel Silverstein wrote the lyrics. Yeah, he wrote that song. He's written, a, he wrote a, a lot of songs and he wrote, he also has another really good song called, um, Front row seat uh, to hear Johnny sing, which is about wanting to see Johnny Cash sing. And it's a great, he's just a great writer. Would you ever consider doing like a Nerf Herder or Perry Grip album of covers of like your favorite songs? Yeah, we think about that. I wonder if, I'm trying to think if we, um, if we, it would be too hard though. Because between Linus and Ben and Steve and I, we would just want to cover like 50 billion songs it would be hard to do so to vote on the top 12 or yeah something. we couldn't do it i don't i thought about it i'm like oh well if we do this song then we're gonna have to do that song and that song maybe just on the, your next album you could cover that johnny cash song as oh, one song man it's a great song i can't remember all those words though that'd be too hard to sing what was your um introduction like in the 80s when hip-hop started happening and like blowing up and california being like a central place for rap especially in the early 90s were you a fan of, of rap as a kid or what's your relationship to that culture? Sure. So so when I was a kid, I'm like I said, I'm super old. So I was in junior high when Rapper's Delight came out and when um, Blondie's Rapture song came out. And those were like the first rap songs that we heard. And those are the first rap songs that were big. And and everyone loved those songs. They were so funny and like, like really, uh, it was kind of more like a novelty thing and you didn't, you didn't feel like uh, you were on like a team. Like I'm on this team. I listen to this kind of music. It was more like a, those songs kind of slipped through as novelty songs. But um, then I remember uh, like when uh, Run DMC came out and and the Beastie Boys came. The Beastie Boys were huge, and they kind of broke. I mean, they sort of broke a rap for a lot of people. Like that was, I think, the Beastie Boys record was like the first platinum rap record or something like that so that was really big and i remember listening to that a lot and um that one run dmc record that everyone had and uh probably raising hell right with raising the, hell yeah. yeah everyone had that record and so um yeah i don't know i didn't i didn't you know at some point it became about um the ramones and like punk rock and and then Green Day and Nirvana and then Green Day and it was about this sort of rock stuff. So I did I was never that into I mean I definitely had some rap records but I never was like super into it. Were you a like a Dead Kennedys fan and like the all that Bay Area stuff? I I never had that stuff. Yeah. I was more I was like a huge Ramones fan. Okay. Yeah. So, so I would have been like moving to New York or something. Do you have a favorite uh Ramones song? Oh wow, that's a tough one. Well, I really like um gosh, that's that's a hard question. I think Beat on the Brat is a great song. I don't even know if you could do that song now. It's about beating on someone. And then uh like that's hard to pick. I love all all their songs, but um there's a song called uh called on on uh, Pleasant Dreams that's called um 7-Eleven. It's a great song. Um, My My Kind of a Girl from um, Subterranean Jungle is a great song. I love, I like the ballady songs. I really like Joey Ramone. 
Did you ever hear the D.D. King rap? <laughs> I did. I had that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was funny. He's great. Like he said, he wrote so many of those great songs. Did you ever meet any of those guys? Um, I saw them a lot and, yeah. and I wrote for a newspaper for a while and I interviewed, um, I interviewed Marky. So Marky was still in the band, but he, uh, yeah, but I didn't, I was on the phone. I never met him. Were you, was that like a, a high school thing or were you like a journalist before you started doing Nerf I was a journalist before I started, started doing Nerf In fact, I wow. was kind of the main music journalist for Santa Barbara. And so I would go see all these bands and, and like write about them and stuff. And then all of a sudden I was like the, in a band and I wasn't writing about them. I feel like people, I didn't know that about you. That's like, so there must be some archive of like all your reviews. Yeah, I was, I was totally, and I wrote this weekly column where I would go around and see bands and I'd be like, oh, hey, there's that. Actually, that's probably how I met Steve was through writing that column. Um, And you'd review the, you'd like talk about the band. I didn't really try to review stuff. I didn't want to say if it was good or bad. I was more like, oh, hey, hey, there's Lars. Look, he played that song. Oh, it was great. Everything was great. And it was great. It was like, it was a great time. Did you ever uh, did you ever see Wesley Willis play? Do you I, remember him? I do remember him, and I didn't see him play, but he hung out with us when we played at the Metro in Chicago, and he hung out backstage, and then he introduced us. He, I think he introduced us a couple times when we played in Chicago. That's phenomenal. But I never saw him sing, but we had his tapes. So we'd listen to them uh, like all the time on tour, and then it was a trip to meet him. Does he have a Nerf Herder song? I'd be surprised if he didn't. Yeah, I think he might have made it up like to introduce us, but yeah, he has a song about everyone. And sadly, he passed away. But and I mentioned him because Carl put out put out some of his music. Carl, our friend, like put really, out I didn't know that. There's a, you know, there's a video of him being interviewed, and Carl's in the background, like a YouTube video, like like as the label rep. It's pretty dope. Wow, I gotta see, I gotta call up Carl. Hey, Carl, send me that Wesley Willis record. He did. Uh, he did a compilation of, uh, about. I think it's called Rock and Roll Will Never Die, and it's all songs about his favorite rock stars. Wow. Yeah, he would write. He was so funny. So amazing. Well, in a way, and it's similar to you in that, like, it was his life, and his he is such a pop culture enthusiast, and, like, it was something that had a playful energy to it, which is why I feel like the Nerf Herder stuff people love still so much, right? Like, and that there's there's only one Perry Grip. There was only one Wesley Willis. We're, We're, like... Brothers, did you ever know the Army of Freshmen guys? Since they're they're, I did here. know those guys, and yeah. I I think I, I think I sang on one of their records. Like yeah. I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, I was probably drunk, and I that's why I can't remember. But uh, I definitely pretty sure that I did something on one of their records way back in the old days. And those guys are awesome. You awesome. you guys you guys you toured with them, right? Yeah, I toured with them once with Bowling for Soup, and then once with Weedus. Both, yeah, both in yeah. England. Yeah, and you did you record with them? They must have done something with you, right? I've done a lot of stuff with Suburban Legends. You know them? Yeah, totally. And they, uh, they, we did two different songs together. Yeah. Were you ever a ska fan? Mm, not really. I mean, yeah. I did. I like some of it, like the specials and that kind of stuff. But like the, the when when ska was really big, I think we were trying to be uh more like rock and roll or something like that mm. but um yeah i like ska ska's fun you kind of predated that third wave ska yeah it was sort of going on it sort of ran over us a little bit like a, yeah like i remember we toured with real big fish who were awesome it was like another really fun tour and like there was every once in a while some kid would jump up on stage and be like why is this pop punk band on our ska show and they'd be mad about 
like think it was some kind of conspiracy or something. <laughs> While you were performing? Well, maybe not. Yeah. But yeah, it actually happened at the Stone Pony in 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 um in New Jersey. It's a famous place, and I just remember this kid jumping up and he's like, "Why are these shows getting ruined by these pop punk bands on our ska show?" And he gave like a very impassioned speech about it. On remember? The mic? Yeah, on the mic. No, there's something, and we we're just like, "Oh, let this guy talk." Yeah. And it was like, wow, this guy's really like opinionated about this. They're like, what? I can't really do anything about it. I'm getting paid to be here, so I sort of have to play. Hi, we're <laughs> Thank you for that Hi, introduction. Thank you. We're not trying to hurt your scene at all. It seems like studying the musical history and like studying California, there was like a macho, bro-y, like the dyed spiked hair, kind of like the kind of guys that you really wouldn't want to hang out with it. And I'm not trying to point the finger at anyone, but like it had this kind of reputation, right? That ska was, I don't know. Ska was, ska was so cool. Right. And it was like the right shirts and the right like style. Sure. Sure. And now it's become like this nerdy throwback thing where like, you know, I, a few weeks ago, my wife and I went to see streetlight manifesto and like, they're awesome. And like that, I feel like there's this nostalgia and ska now is very nerdy and not what I feel like it was associated with in the heyday. Do you, would you sure. agree? Yeah, because it used to, there was like, I would say not true of a lot of Scott, but there was this also this element of Scott where it was like there was a skinhead element. There was like kind of a, and LA had, the punk scene in LA was really violent originally. And I think that maybe tied into some of this, this Scott stuff. Like you would have skinheads around who, who like were, you know, that was, thing and they were some of them were violent and that i'm sure there was a backlash because it was like so popular on mtv briefly right yeah that, it was really popular like with yeah. goldfinger and and uh no doubt was you know they were all part of that ska stuff rollins in his spoken word like listening to some of his old spoken word he has like a vendetta against ska you know he doesn't like it huh <laughs> yeah it kind of it sort of took the focus of i think punk rock like at some point was like kind of political and serious and and ska wasn't wasn't that so maybe that was it ska was fun yeah it was super fun yeah it's always fun it's super fun and one of the greatest bands of all time which i'm sure you've worked with is the aquabats oh sure yeah we played a yeah. show with those guys like a couple years ago yeah and and we played a show with them like 20 years ago or 18 years ago or something at you know before we were signed and and it was in a little place here and Santa Barbara that was for all ages. So we would play at this little club that was all like high school kids and younger junior high school kids. And we played a show with the Aquabats a long time ago. And they similarly have crossed over into kids TV and especially Bat Commander like you. It's yeah. kind of cool. It's yeah. kind of cool. Those guys have done really well. I mean, they did uh, Yo Gabba Gabba, which was really huge and, and important to a lot of people. Do you still go like for fun? Do you and your wife like go to shows for fun still? Uh, it's kind of late, most of them. Like, it's getting late here, Lars. What time is it? Oh, it's, it's eight. It's, I got to go to bed soon. It's no, um, we we do sometimes. She really likes going to shows. She loves music. Um, she's way more motivated to do it. Um, we're, what did we see last? I'm trying to think. Can't remember. I can't remember the last show I went to. I'm sure there was one, but a lot of, lo we go see our friends' bands locally. We're going to see our friend Chris Shiflett, who's, the guitarist for the Foo Fighters, and he's playing a solo show in a 
about a week and a half here in Santa Barbara. And he's also a guy we grew up with and who we've known for a long time. And Steve, drummer for Erfurter, was his first band, or one of his first bands, was with Chris Shiflett, uh called The Lost Kittens. That's cool. Yeah, so it was like, way back. Like, going to shows is a cool way to hang out with friends, right? That become That's the social element it occupies later in life, right? It is, yeah. You want to hang out with friends. But um, the thing about getting old, Lars, and you'll eventually, when you become old, you'll know this, your friends don't want to go out either. And so everyone, you're kind of sitting at home. Going out to a show is like, oh, wow, I got to stay up. <laughs> I got to stay up past 10. <laughs> like, that's the weird thing about Nerfurters. <laughs> Whenever we play a show, we always play like, we'll play like 11 or midnight. And usually, like, about a couple hours before we play, I'm like, yeah, I'd really like to go to bed about now. I guess I got to stay. I wouldn't be up if I wasn't playing this show. That show you and I played in, in at House of Blues earlier this year, you guys went on at, like, one or something. Oh, that was the worst. And we Don't had, bring that up, Lars. <laughs> we were supposed to sound Don't check at, like, up. 2, 2 p.m., right? Yeah, so we got there really early. There was no sound check. And then we stayed, and then you guys played at one, and... It was a great set. It was a lot of fun, but like, yeah, that, that doing that every day. I like when shows, I like when we're loaded out before midnight and a band who, who told me to say hi, who's a big fan of yours is Cuckoo Kangaroo. Do you know oh, them? Yeah. Those guys are, they're, they're, they're uh, those guys are great. They're do you, awesome. do you play with them? A lot. And I'm, I'm doing a, actually talking about Robot Kills, this spring is the 10 year anniversary. Oh, okay. And we're doing a UK tour, a UK tour to, to celebrate the 10-year anniversary, and they're on that tour in the UK. Oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations. That's a great record. Thanks, man. They are, they are, I like touring with them because I open for them in the US, and we're done at, at 7 because they play for kids. We're loaded yeah. out. We're at the hotel by like 7.30. That's what, I got to get my kids tour going because I'm, I'm like, like my solo stuff with kids is like 100 times more popular than than Nerf with Nerfurger, but I don't really do shows as as me because I think people would want to just see a hamster or something. They don't really want to see me doing those songs. But but um, I've eventually maybe we'll figure out some kind of show to do with that because that that's like what pays the bill for bills for me is raining tacos and space unicorn and that stuff. And you could like what they do is they have these cool screens, right? Like like LCD screens behind them suspended. I feel like you could have a really cool show where you have your characters and it's yeah. just synced with the video and like. I feel like that people would love to see a Perry yeah. Group Kids tour. Yeah, I could get a real hamster out there too. It'd be good. <laughs> I think people like it. I, I get asked about it a lot, actually, but it's like such a, an undertaking to get, um, you know, to to do that kind of thing for me. Just because, like, it's playing with Nerf Herders easy because you just know exactly what to do. But uh, but doing a Perry Group show, you're right. I want to have screens, and I want to have like flying, uh, you know, animals and stuff. Well, you could start out small, like start out with just with just a projection b- behind you. I could do I should do something like that. Have you done it? Have you ever done like a, that those songs live? I I have done like in 2010 or 9 I did South by Southwest. Um I did and this was kind of before it was really big. It was like Hamster on a Piano and Nom 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 and Cat flushing a toilet and chimpanzee riding on a Segway, and I did that, and it was it was really fun. Actually, it was great, but it was it was a lot of work to do. Um, and recently, I I have this book that came out. It's like a kids' book about pets, and uh, I did a book reading, and Linus came, and we did a couple songs, just like in front of some kids in a bookstore, and that was really fun. So I can see doing that. Kids are fun to perform for because you get a very 
honest reaction. Like if they love it, they love it. If they're bored and they don't yeah, know they're it, yawning at you, and that's and they fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, that's what you don't want. But like, I feel like when I opened for Cuckoo Kangaroo, we were you know playing big clubs full of little kids. Like I had to change my show up because the nerd core rap stuff is more lyrical and. Brian was like, Brian from Cuckoo Kangaroo was like, Lars, you need more emotion. Like he coached me. You need to do more crowd participation. And it really made me step up, like making my show more interactive. And kids are a good, uh, tough, good audience to play for. Are you bringing some of that to your adult show? Like you're going to have more audience participation? Like for instance, on my my uh, Moby Dick song, I have a song called Ahab. Yeah. yeah. We do a thing where Brian came up with this thing where they do, I'm doing the dance. You can't see it where you put your hands together and dance oh, like yeah. a whale. He's doing it. So that's a good dance. And so the kids did it. And I found that like drunk adults are just as happy when you're like, you're doing this dance. Go, let's practice. <laughs> they, it's like, it's like a cool, it's a cool way to test like new moves. Yeah. I, th- I like that. I'm going to steal that. Nerfurter's new song is going to have a whale dance. That, you can have that. That's cool. <laughs> um, Perry, you, you're, a very prolific guy and like as me someone who just got married and like who loves my wife and you obviously are a man who's who's a very good loyal partner how how do you make space for this creative flow and be like a really great partner to your brilliant classics major wife Mm, wow that's generous of you too i don't know if she would say that but but one thing uh that helps is so when I was writing like Hamster on a Piano and, and that kind of stuff, which is put me on the map, but it's also like maybe annoying to hear over and over. My wife, I, I wasn't in this fancy studio, shipping container studio. I was in the house like right next door and she had to hear that stuff over and over again. So she's really super cool. That's one thing. Marry someone who's like pretty cool and it's not going to be like, why are you doing this hamster thing? This is a waste of time. She was cool with it and it, and it paid off. But um I don't, I don't know. What advice? Just uh, be c- considerate of the person. Like, like one thing when you're a creative person, you tend to like be in your head, like thinking you'll be with this other person, but then you're trying to think of lyrics and whatever. You have to like learn to turn that off and focus on them, which I'm sure you do. Um, I don't have any advice. I'm the worst. Just listen to my songs and do the opposite of what that is. <laughs> uh, of, your char- of your male characters. Yeah, the male characters don't do any of that stuff. Well, you know what? Like, this is something I've learned in my, in my roles. I've, I've been with my wife three years. We we've been together three years. Is knowing that there are times when she will want me to be present and not thinking of stuff. And if I have ideas or something like that, like knowing that there's a specific time where I'll get like an hour or so to to mess around on on the computer. But then I'm really productive in that time because I know like after 10 is Ashley and Andrew time and we're going to hang out and we're going to go for a walk or we're going to cook. And that having a clock on what I'm doing, like, she, she, you know, if I want to text myself a lyric, she's she's nice about that. Being in a relationship has, dude, this past year, uh, I'm on Patreon, so I put out two songs a month yeah. and I did a record and I put I put out like 50 songs. Wow. And And the relationship, like... I knew that Ashley was special because she was always like, okay, Andrew, it's late. It's, it's, it's 1am. You probably should go to sleep. Cause if you're going to get up and work out tomorrow, like she kind of helps me rein in my, my like sure. chaos, which then sure. it's like, it's like putting your thumb on a hose, right? Like as a kid in the garden and then it sprays very effectively. Yeah. Not, well, that's yeah. good. I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad you, you sound more organized about it than me, but, uh, 
but that's yeah that's cool it does take us but you have to like really thank the person i'm so thankful to my wife because like she's uh you know if you you like like your wife they have to put up all with a lot of different behavior if you're like a creative person it's not um it's there's it is hard to put a clock on it but like it is good when they say like oh hey you're it's it's time for you to go to bed or take a break. It's good to have someone do that. And the yeah. other, the other Did you thing, shower today? Yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like one thing that's great about Eileen too, she went to, she's a creative person too. She went to Stanford like you did. And so I frequently like will be like, God, I can't I have this job. I have to think of this thing. Like the book, I, the book is, she really helped with that. I couldn't do it. And I was like, Oh, maybe you can, maybe you can think of this. And, and that's sort of a together thing too, is you can work on, you can work on uh, some of the stuff, and then then you can take all the credit. <laughs> or you that's can, terrible having having a collaborative project that, you know, I found with Ashley is like we work on stuff, but I always know that when she she raps too, and she's a teacher. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to. I I don't need to solicit advice if she's not asking for it, and and sure. she knows not to like give me an opinion on a demo mix if I haven't asked her. But she's always right. Like I was working on a. I just did a, a Chronicles of Narnia EP uh-huh. and she, the last song I did, like the beat was all frenetic and everyone. She's like, she said something like, think about master P his beats are simple and like locked down. He's a good example. She just said that and went out for a jog and like that, that, that opened my eyes. And then within 10 minutes, the song was like infinitely better because of that one suggestion. Yeah. They're always right. <laughs> always. <laughs> That's tight. Um, Perry, you have given me a lot of your time and I, I appreciate it. And like, I wanted to, I always like to ask this question to creative people who have been adaptable. What would you tell a 15 year old, 14 year old Perry, like some advice that now as an adult, you know, that might open doors for him or like help him in some way that you, if you could go back, you know, in the DeLorean and, and, and he wouldn't, mm-hmm. and he'd listen to you and it, he wouldn't be freaked out by the fact that it was his future self traveling. What would you say, man? Oh, I don't know. I'd probably say like, oh, you're going to, you don't have to be as worried as you are because you're going to be okay. Keep listening to Dr. Demento. In fact, listen more, like follow Weird Al a little closer. Try to do that. Probably would say something like that. I don't know what I would say. I'd probably like, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. 15 year old me. I don't don't even like to think about it so long ago. How about you? What would you do? Wow. No one's ever flipped, flipped it on me. I want to hear what you say. I would say one thing about me is like I uh I I'm I'm sober now and like mm-hmm, sure. and in college and in the earlier MC Lars I definitely like was a little wild because I felt like that was expected of me with with the bands I toured with and like to be a, a musician being able yeah. to do that and you toured with a lot of drunks <laughs> Well I wasn't going to say it that plainly but I've definitely yeah, been around Yeah and and that I think that's cool but I think I would have told myself that like you're the, your limits are like respectable and if you don't want to like get wasted every night you don't have to and it doesn't mean that you're not like cool or you're not part of this like this generation of wonderful artistic people like that was something that that kind of came together for me in the past three or four years and I would have told myself that and and I made I, I learned from mistakes I made but I would have said that and I, I think I would have probably listened I don't know that's a good. That's a good lesson for anyone, I think. That's a good. 
To well, I wish you had gone back to my 15-year-old self and you could have told me that. <laughs> that you don't, it's like your golf shirt song to go back to that. You don't have to try to be something that you're not to feel like you're something more than you are because when you are a creative soul, that is enough, you know? Yeah. You feel me? Yeah, I know what you're saying. I agree with you, Lars. You would, you would, you would, you should get that DeLorean. I think you deserve it. <laughs> we'll, we'll go, we'll go back together and talk to both of our, <laughs> both ourselves. Uh, what's next? Like, do you think you'll do another Nerf Herder record soon? Or yeah, we're working on a new Nerf Herder record for fun. Um, there's some songs recorded. We probably have like half the record done, and then uh, there we're, we're going to be recording in January, early January, and so I need to write some songs for that right now. So like you're this second. You're hitting a st- studio in January. Yeah, we wow. are. We're gonna have a rehearsal on the 29th of December and we're going in the next weekend or the maybe in two weeks I can't remember to record something but it'll be um, a lot of times it'll just be like you know sort of a song without words or something like that but so Nerfurter is definitely doing more stuff and then me personally I'm just uh, writing a lot of more Perry Grip songs I've got a song called Celery Stick working on Celery Bear which is also about celery. I was kind of into celery lately. And then what else is coming up? Um, Hailing Taquitos. There's a song called Hailing Taquitos. It's sort of a sequel to Raining Tacos that's coming up, but it's more okay. dark. Okay. It's a little okay. more dark. Yeah. And then uh, some. I have like 200 songs I'm working on. Just got just to gotta keep cranking them out. Did you ever see when the Aquabats did Burger Rain? Yeah, that's a great song. Did you think that's... Is that a reference to your tacos? I don't one? think so. I don't, And I don't think... I think that song might have come out earlier or late. I mean, I didn't know about it, but um, I think they they just happened independently. I mean, it's just like great minds are thinking this thing. Like, but uh, yeah, back to back on Spotify. Those are it's a fun pairing, right? Yeah, it's a good it's a a good meal too. You could have a taco and a burger at the same time. I Perry, if you if you're down, I think it would be fun to work on another song one day. Yeah, whenever you want to do it. Cool. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we can, should we brainstorm some, we could do it on email or on the phone later. Yeah. Someone will think of something. Um, If anyone listening has any suggestions on topics, we'll, we will pick our favorite. How's that? Anyone on Twitter, tweet us. Yeah. (laughs) Perry, you're on, on Twitter, you're Perry Grip, right? Yeah, that's right. Everywhere. I'm Perry Grip everywhere. That's cool. That's just me. Well, I just wanted to thank you for always being kind and and doing great work with me. And you showed me early on that like being a nice guy and being like a hardworking person pays off. And I remember when I first met you, I was like, this dude whose music I love so much is, is a genuinely sweet person. And you shared time with me back when no one had ever heard or cared about what I was doing. And you, you, you're just, I don't know, man. You're a good force in this universe. I'm I'm lucky to know you. That's really nice. Thank you so much, Lars. And I'm glad we stole that dog and gave it to that lady. She needed a dog. <laughs> she needed a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Thank you very much. Peace. Swoon, autograph line every day.
the point and whisper Check out his callus Guitar button blisters I'm a fourth-grade celebrity Plus an axe on my back and a dragon force team My teachers know that I'm the man A walking, talking, ten-year-old brand Pepsi offer me veggies to drink so me exclusively Guitar hero, it's my song Flip the switch and then it's on Perry Grip, that was Guitar Hero Hero. Beating Guitar Hero does not make you slash. Of course, Perry and I brainstorm about working on more music soon. I would love to do different stuff with him. And so stay tuned. Maybe we'll have a song coming up. Next week, we have Wait What, which is the musical alter ego of my friend Charlie Cabal, who was a kid when I worked at the summer camp. I worked at this summer camp near Lake Tahoe, Stanford Sierra Camp. I worked there two summers. I used to go there as a kid, but I worked there 
as a summer camp counselor. Charlie was one of the guests and he came to my hip hop workshop. I did a workshop on the history of rap. He went to school at Columbia in New York. And when I played in New York, he'd come to my shows and he had an, in, he interned at my old management company because he's just so awesome like that. And also I told him he was awesome. They should bring him on, but he's a very hardworking guy who went on he's Ivy league got his Ivy League undergrad. Then he went to Stanford Business School. What? To get his MBA. He's done mad startups. He's toured the world DJing. He's also a rapper, a producer, a great guy and a great friend. So I talked to Charlie about just the balance of talk about changing, like the changing media landscape, which is a constant theme. He's a very dynamic, cool young man. Very proud of him. I guess I, I don't, I, I don't know why I should be proud of him, but I'm very impressed by all the work he's done and the opportunities capitalized on and his music is dope. His mashups are dope. His rap stuff is dope. So wait, what is next week? Uh, thank you to everyone. Who, like I said, who came to see us on the UK tour. Thank you to the listeners. We'll see you next week. Perry, you were great this episode. Thanks for being on. All right, everyone. Peace.